Hey, it's Barbara Phillips with NPBO, and I wanted to give you a heads up on a webinar that we have coming up Thursday, May 16th, and it will be with a certified healthcare privacy person who has been in charge of a very large healthcare organization and their privacy compliance, HIPAA, and all of that sort of thing. And I think it's very important that all clinicians attend this one because HIPAA affects all of us. And so you can get more information about that at npbusiness.org forward slash privacy matters. And just another quick heads up after that, in June, we'll be talking with someone who has been in charge of the IT compliance to protect the organization. And so this one will be geared toward how do you protect yourself as well as your practice. And I'll be sharing more information about that later. So let's move on with the podcast. This is the NP Business Matters podcast, episode number 37, with Eileen O'Grady on choosing wellness. And welcome to the NP Business Matters podcast. I'm your host, Barbara C. Phillips, founder of Nurse Practitioner Business Owner and the Clinician Business Institute. And since 2007, we've been providing education, resources, and support about the business of being a nurse practitioner. And you can learn more at npbusiness.com and clinicianbusinessinstitute.com. Today, I'm interviewing Dr. Eileen O'Grady, and if you've been listening to our podcast for a while, back on episode 30, which really wasn't all that long ago, we spoke to Eileen about nurse coaching, and in that episode, we briefly mentioned that she had a book coming out, Choosing Wellness. Well, that book was actually released on June 11th, and today we're going to spend time talking about that book. Now, I personally found the book to be raw, insightful, and quite helpful. She tells her own story about her path to finding wellness and wisdom, and of course, that's something that we all strive to do. There are many of us in the healthcare field that will see themselves in her story and perhaps have same or similar stories. And we'll also see the struggles and stories from our patients in this book. And the thing is, is that we can change our narrative and help our patients choose a new narrative as well and help all of us choose a path to wellness and wisdom. So let's go ahead and get started. Eileen, I am so happy that you're back on the podcast, and this time we get to talk about that book that we hinted at last time. So choosing wellness, can you just, what is that all about? Well, I think, you know, just basically wanting to be in nursing and around nursing um, most of my life since I was 11, I just realized that so much of healthcare has to do with us just making a decision, you know, making a choice. It's, it's really the things that we do in between office visits or visits to our healthcare provider that really determines our health. Um, 
which was a hard thing to actually come to reckon with <laughs> that, that it's the daily things, it's the thoughts, it's how, how, you know, what we spend our time thinking about and doing and putting on our forks and moving our bodies and who are around that those are the things that really determine, you know, whether a life is, is flourishing or not. And there seems to be this over-reliance on this healthcare system that has great solutions and answers uh, for many things, but not all. Right. It's not, it's not wellness driven. It's, it's an illness driven system that we have. And choosing wellness, when, when I read it, it real it's a very personal story. It's, um, uh, it's a very vulnerable story, if you will, in, in some respects, but it's how you made that choice to become healthy over time. And not just, we're not talking just physically healthy either. You know, there's a whole lot of challenges that so many of us in healthcare, I think we have, and we don't talk about. Um, there's a lot of, I don't know, maybe some guilt, some shame, some denial that goes on and, and just fear of, of being open to one another. And because this story is so personal, I think, in in my opinion, it took a lot of courage to write this story. Did you feel that? Hmm. Um, I think, you know, once it's been out, it's been out since, you know, um, June 11th and 2021. And so it's just been a couple of weeks and I have, I have felt some fear for sure. But, you know, when I think about courage, you know, which is very close to um, the word heart, you know, core. And, and, and to me, the, the word really has to do with um, being, being true to who you are. And so when I think about this book, and it is my most personal, you know, I've been writing textbooks for a long time and very dry and academic kinds of writing, is that it's really all I have, you know, that, that I could I could look things up and write it, write a really advicey book about, you know, how to get healthy and here's all the science. And, and in fact, that's how it started out. And, um, and then there was a little personal narrative at the end. And then we ended up taking all the science out, all of that, and making it all basically narrative. And... Um, and so I, I feel that, you know, a story can save a life. And, and it has in my case, you know, when I'm struggling with something and I, and I hear a story, I, um, it just affects me much deeper. And I, I remember stories, you know, more than I do facts and figures. And I actually find the facts and figures really dull. And um, I don't hold on to them. I never have. I've never been a, a numbers person. So, um, you know, it's really all I have. And so, um you know, one of my core values is to be a generous person and to give, you know, to give, right? That's most of us in healthcare. That's what we want to do it. We want to be remembered as a generous person. And when I, when I really got down to the core of it, Barbara, it was just all I had was my story and my experience um, and being in healthcare and even looking around and seeing, you know, there's a higher suicide rate amongst nurses than the general population, higher obesity and smoking rates. So to me, it's really tragic that we're in healthcare and, and we're talking about it from morning till night, promoting it, doing it, and yet we're not applying it to ourselves. And so my big idea here is that we in, in healthcare and in nursing, nurse practitioners are healthier than the general population, that we're the, become the humble role models 
in, in, um, so, you know, people are looking to us and that we're living in such a way that we're not allowing a chronic illness to land on our body. We're doing all the things that let that chronic illness keep on moving. And this is obviously not true for all illnesses, certainly, but the things that are causing early death and disability, you know, we all know what those are, those metabolic things, um, you know, entirely preventable, like diabetes type two. So, you know, um, you don't really often go to a provider and told, okay, we're going to turn this Titanic around and we're going to get you off all these medicines. And we're going to, you know, through diet and lifestyle, we're going to reverse this. And there's no place to go. And that was why we, we built the school of wellness There's a place to go. Right. Right. And, you know, it's, it's so true. And I want to just back up stories, stories, you're right. People remember the stories. They don't remember all the facts and the figures and the numbers. The stories are so relatable on a on a personal level, and that's where they touch us. And until a story touches us, we can't we can't really it's you know, who's going to embrace numbers over the story behind the numbers, if you will? So your story to me is a story that parts of it I could relate to because parts of it I've been there. In fact, you know, one of the things I was, I, you know, took a few minutes to go back through what I read and all the marks that I made in the book. Um, and I have to say that most of the marks are in the chapter, um, I think it's Choose Wellness. That was one of them. Vampires was the other one. But um, in in Choose Wellness, because you talk about, well, I think I'm getting ahead of myself. What is your favorite story in there? Because you've overcome so many of your previous stories and made a whole new narrative. Yeah, like tell the story so that it's good for you, you know, and, and that we can change the ending. And so many times we think we're stuck in this rut of whatever behavior, self-defeating behavior we're in. We're just stuck in it. And, you know, I have devoted my my nursing career to understanding the adults and how adults change. Like, is that such an interesting question to me? And it's it's always emotional. You know, so all the facts and figures and the two decades I spent in primary care telling people what to do. I mean, I could cry about that because it just doesn't work. I wasn't arousing people emotionally. I wasn't really getting at at their heart, at their core. And so, um, you know, to me, um, you know, that's that's the work I do is is understanding why people are stuck in self-defeating behavior. Like what? Because it's always serving some purpose. Right. Like I was talking with a client the other day, like, you know, for you to give this up, you're going to, there's a grief here. You know, this is like a friend of yours. You know, it's just like your favorite person in the world is whatever substance, whatever thing you're reaching for to numb, you know, it's, it's, there's loss always involved. So my favorite story though, because it was so, you know, some of the stories come slow and some come quick. The, the revelations that I have about, about my own wellness, that it's, it's never outside of myself. It's always an interior thing. And, um, and this was, you know, kind of years ago. Um, and my son, I recognized that I was feeling envious of an eight-year-old, <laughs> which is like a really ugly thing to feel, you know, like it was not something I wanted to see. And, and like many things, once we see things and have an insight and, and develop this greater awareness, we can't unsee it. 
you know, I mean, many times we do, we just try to push it down and we start reaching for something to numb it out. But I, I saw it, it was a glimpse. And I, and I had this revelation like, oh, this is really, really bad for both of us, you know, um, in this relationship. And so, um, that was just a a remarkable thing. Um, middle of the night, bolt out of bed and just this real, this revelation came to me that I needed to change the trajectory of our relationship. Um, because I was, you know, things just came really easy to him. He didn't, he just coasted by and rainbows and sunshine. And I was a really scrappy kid. And so, um, the most generous thing I could say about that, that story in particular was that, um, you know, I didn't have a mom like me, you know? And so it's kind of like came full circle that, um, you know, I was envious that he had a mom like me that was sort more emotionally tuned in. And I saw him, you know, I really saw him. And in the way that I wasn't seen as a child. So anyway, I, you know, tell the story so that it's good for you. Right. That's kind of my strategy. (laughs) Yeah. 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 For, for me, I think in, in the chapter choose wellness, you talk about DNA and one of the things, you know, my, my upbringing was I had great parents. I really did. And, um, you know, my father died when I was only 16, but my, I was still to survive. And my siblings um, were not very nice. We were very, very different. And some of that not being nice may have been, um, I think they perceived me as being a favorite, but I did all the things to earn all the little privileges that you get. And then after my father died, I became the mother figure because mom had to go off to work to support five children. It was really kind of toxic. And I remember in nursing school and over the years I had come to the fact, in fact, I moved out of state as soon as I could go to college um, to just get away from the toxicity. I mean, one of my sisters threw a butcher knife at me. That's how toxic it could get. And um, in our psych nursing class, they were talking about family. And my statement, which highly affronted so many people, was that just because we share the same DNA doesn't mean that it's family. You know, we can have our family. We're supposed to be able to do things with family. Family is supposed to be everything, and sometimes it's not. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we get to choose our family as adults, like, uh, you know, who I spend holidays with now, it's very different. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, we get to pick who our family is and even who we, who we partner with, right. That we get to choose. And so that was another big revelation in, in my life that I didn't have to carry this and, and, and keep trying to make it work like an unworkable situation. So if I were to sum up the book, um, I would say it's really save yourself. <laughs> like, uh, and I get this whole nursing, you know, I just put an article out in February in the Journal for Nurse Practitioners on, um, so, you know, self-care as, as, as a leadership tool that, that we have this archetype in nursing where we just, you know, the caregiver, right? We just, it, there's a constellation. We all get it, right? We, we may not have it, but we know, we know what it is where we put others before self. We may start to feel resentful. It can slip into codependence and martyrdom. And many of us, like you sounded like you played that role in the family as, the, you know, the savior, the hero, the caretaker, the, the responsible one. And then that comes, there's a dark side to all these archetypes. And, um, you know, I really 
uh, carried that. I mean, for a long, long time. And, and so part of this is just putting that burden down and, and feeling this emancipation from it, from other people's problems. You know, I think somewhere in, the, in this book, I talk about, you know, feeling responsible without having any authority. And it's such a trap. And even even in workplaces where you're responsible for all this, but you don't have the decision-making capacity to really do the job right. And so now, like when I'm given a responsibility, there's a number of conditions I have to have, like full decision-making, um, you know, budget, whatever it might be, so that I'm not in this trapped situation that becomes quickly toxic, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is that is so true. So many of us as nurses, nurse practitioners, and I'm sure even physicians, you are supposed to make all these decisions. You are responsible for the quality of care that you give, and you have no authority as to what you need to or want to do, or even in your best judgment. I mean, you have insurance companies deciding whether you can go ahead and order a test or a treatment that you may want to be able to provide for your patient. You have them almost dictating um, indirectly how much time you can actually spend talking to your patient, which oftentimes is the most important thing that we can do for our patients and for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right. Right, right. The, the reciprocity of, of a really good therapeutic relationship with the patient so that one of the prevention um, techniques for burnout is to actually have these meaningful connections. And that's the thing that's not valued, not measured, not, you know, yeah, it's a problem. Yeah. And we thought Magnet was going to help that, right? Like having a more nursing centric um system and it, and it certainly is helping, but it's a, a lot of my clients you know, that I speak with are in this situation where they're carrying a heavy load with very little authority. And going back to family here for a moment, um, you talk about releasing the burdens and we just, we, we just talked about that toxicity, but how did you even come to see that, that it affects your own well-being? it negatively impacts you. I mean, what was the trigger there? Because we often see not only our patients, but our colleagues kind of trapped a little bit in those relationships. Yeah. I mean, I, it was a slow molting really. Um, and, and just recognizing like how much I hold things in my body, Barbara. And I, and I think we all do. We're just not aware. Like I just noticed like just the stress of dealing, you know, with my, my sister, um, who was a really severe addict from a very young age and trying to be the good one and carry her and fix it and all these things and bring, bring dignity to the family. And, um, you know, in my own sobriety story, you know, part of, of, of becoming a sober woman is being rigorously honest. And so, you know, I, you know, you, know, you, you go through these programs and you take this inventory and, and so you just recognize like what's in my lane and what's not, you know, and when I, when I write the story about a family member who I thought wasn't going to make it to third grade, you know, wasn't going to live because he was HIV positive and, you know, he is now a father himself. And so I spent decades planning his funeral, thinking about, worried about him, worried, worried all the time. And, and it was just this fantasy that I had made up, right? It was just uh, all, like the worry is not a useful emotion. And so I just had to make a decision about what problem is mine? What can I control? You know, just going back to the serenity poem, right? <laughs> What's the, the wisdom to know the difference? You know, what, what can I control here? And so when we take sharp focus on the things we have agency over, and that's what I'm really passionate about is that 
I think we leave so much agency on the table um, about what we have control over. And it's really our, our, our bedrock behaviors, you know, what we think about, what we eat, how we move, who we hang around with, what we do in our free time, you know, do we prioritize sleep? And that's it. And when we really focus on those things, miracles happen. Like it, it's, it sounds so basic and kindergartnery, but it really, I mean, I think we just, this whole pandemic that's, you know, I've been all over the country and every kind of organization you can think of every, I mean, you just name it. And I've been talking to people in, in industries, uh, lawyers and librarians and the tractor companies and, um, everyone's losing their mind and neglecting themselves. I mean, that's the first thing often to go. And so it's like getting back to basics, like, okay, um, prioritizing sleep, turn your computer off, you know, do the things that we've known for thousands of years, right? Um, taking a walk, like these things that we don't intuitively do because there's all these distractions and numbing agents that we can reach for that they're non-nutritive. You know, they're, they're, it's like eating junk food. It feels good in the moment, but they don't nourish us on a deeper level. Um, the whole idea of taking care of self, it's so intertwined with all the other stuff like you were talking about that we, especially as nurses, you know, we have this martyrdom thing. We're going to take care of everybody. We're going to take care of the world and we don't take care of ourselves. And I mean, even to the point of, and and we've seen this recently, just trying to deal with some other family members and a passing of a family member and that sort of thing. But we're looked at as, I, I'm not even sure what the term I, I want, but we're looked at unfavorably if we prioritize taking care of ourselves. How do we detach ourselves from other people's opinions how how do we how do we pull that back in and and truly recognize that that's what's happening we see this now on you know social media is a great example of this the whole idea of other people's opinions yeah well, uh, well there are outsides you know comparing to your insides yeah. and all that so i mean right. i i think you know having a meditation practice where we get quiet every day is essential because that's when we tap into our deeper wisdom and when we're going 100 miles an hour i don't know about you barbara but when i am spent decades doing that there's no wisdom in it um you know there is no deeper wisdom. And I'm really interested in not just growing old, <laughs> but growing wise. You know, we all know people that grow old and yell at the TV and, but you know, what about being on this planet for a long time and, and learning some things? And so I think it's just checking our motivation. Am I doing this because I want this person to like me for approval or um, am I doing this because it's the right thing to do? So this is much of the work I do is help people move from being fused to the opinions of others to moving into self-authorship where we just and any woman, you know, just stops caring about over the age of 50 or so, um, maybe 40, about what other people think. And, you know, and if there's an emancipation, it's liberating, isn't it? And, and, you know, I, I think I've, I've shared with you, like sometimes people have to go out and learn how to disappoint other people as a skill, um, because in order to live a really authentic life and live in, in the way that you were made, it requires its necessity to disappoint other people. It's just not a good way to contort into a pretzel and, and please other people. And as we get older and have more complex work at us, and I think healthcare is a definition of complexity, we often can't see cause and effect. 
and this pandemic was, you know, we couldn't, see, we were just muddling through and, and, and it requires us to be more experimental. So if we're in a really complex situation and we start trying to act to, to get the approval of other people, we're going to be in trouble very quickly. And so often that's the pain point for people is they just can't do this anymore. They can't, they can't keep all these factions happy in their workplace and then they end up calling a wellness coach. And a lot of it is just, you know, really zeroing in on that about what if we stopped trying to get people to like us or approve what we're doing and operate it from your own value system. It's, it's, it's emancipation. It, it is. And, and I think for me, one of the most empowering things that I finally started adopting and, and could really embrace was just the complete sentence with two letters. And that's no. No explanation, just a no. Or and and often no thank you. But um that to me was quite empowering that I could actually say that and not have to feel obligated to explain myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I know there's a chapter on this saying no and and um, you know, the idea that we need to be saying it in a three to one ratio. Um, saying no in a three to one. So every time we say yes, we're all in and we're happy to be doing it. Like that's the criteria, you know, the hell yes criteria. And if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. And so, and, and, and there's lots of ways to say it, like that won't work for me. Um, maybe I can help you find somebody. But oftentimes when we tell somebody our yes, they really understand the no better. So if you're in a graduate program or right now I'm really focused on understanding intentional change in adults, that's where what I want to study. That's what I want to learn more about. So if it's not in that lane, I'm, I'm really generally, you know, it's, it's a no. And I can do other things. I can. But I'm really working on my own no. And I'm still, I don't have it all figured out, Barbara. There, I get caught. I mean, I, <laughs> um, I'm still working on it. <laughs> but, but, but we're all always working on it. Um, the the whole idea of um, just constantly improving and constantly learning, that is, I think, the exciting part is that we can always grow and change. Well, first of all, we're always changing, period, end of subject. We are always changing in some way, physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever. But um, the idea of continuing to grow that's exciting. That's exciting because we can grow, as you were saying, into this wisdom, this this whole idea of being older and wiser. Um, and so many of us, there's a lot of us that are getting wiser and there's there's people who we've just left behind. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this idea of the growth journey for me has been you know, just one of, of self-knowledge, like it, the answers aren't usually outside of myself. It's just, and even during the pandemic, I've just noticed that, oh, you know what? I think I'm an introvert. I, I, I didn't ever recognize it before, but I'm really okay being quieter. And I didn't know that about myself. So I, I think this uh, idea of being on a, for me, um, I would almost feel like somehow dead inside if I wasn't, wasn't growing in, in some way, you know, that, that seems like, this, uh, these stages of adult development that we don't just stop growing when we're skeletally mature, you know, that there are these other stages that we move through life where we can start to really climb Maslow 
and 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 reach that self actualization. But there's like a step ladder to it, and the, one of the ways out of the st- the step ladder or the the ladder out is to stop very being very intentional about not uh, approval seeking and, and and people pleasing and being fused to what other people think. I mean, that's the that's the growth. First, recognizing it, and then practicing it. And like so many of these things are a, are a practice, like deciding that I want to be well, I don't want to be so stressed and worried about what other people are doing. People, grownups that I have no control over, like who listening on this podcast doesn't want to become less reactive, like sign me up. Right. So there's all these people around doing things, you know, during this pandemic and the masks and all that, and like, and just making a decision ahead of time, like I'm not going to react uh, to this. You know, and that's a real freedom, right? So deciding, and, and if you know somebody that is really obnoxious in your life that triggers you, you can decide ahead of time to not react. I mean, it's, 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 I, there's no better way. So what about the guilt? Because that is such a big deal um, that people carry a, a lot of guilt, Um and maybe some of it is related to what other people are going to think. But I know when I've talked to women before, you know, when I was doing primary care and you get all these new moms and, and they're falling apart because they cannot, they aren't taking care of themselves. Um, but then they have guilt about that, that they're putting themselves first, which I still think is crucial because if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anybody else. But how, how do we overcome that guilt we put on ourselves? Well, so much of it is like confusing self-care with selfishness. And if you think about these two ideas, they're totally separate, like they're completely separate concepts. And it's to me almost denying what a human body needs. Like we're being called to do this really hard work to be with people when they're at their most vulnerable, you know, and we have to show up fed, watered and rested. You know, we can't do this job uh, depleted. Um, And we see it all the time. I mean, just you got nothing left and here you are trying to, you know, take care of patients. And it's, it's, you're not, it's just not very effective, you know, particularly when, you know, we're wanting to be therapeutic with people and, and be present and whole and, and oh, just be a whole person with them. So to me, these are the non-negotiables. And that's why I call them bedrock behaviors, you know, where you are prioritizing sleep and you're and you're eating and you're peeing when you need to pee. Like you're, you're just it's like I need to take a break. So if you've got children like they have to learn that you need some time alone. I mean, from a very young age. Um, we have to train people that this is what a human body needs. And I think it's neglecting our bodies, ourselves, our needs and wants, our longings. And it's really, really bad for us because that's when we start, you know, at least in my case, reaching for numbing agents and wanting to blot it out, you know, and, and living and learning how to live in a way that we never feel resentful. Like there's that that is a possibility for us so that when we say yes and do things, there's no resentment. And so there's a really clear way to say, you know, to decide if it's a yes or a no. Am I going to feel resentful in the least doing this? And if so, it's a no or it's a yes with conditions. Mm-hmm. And and so for somebody, you know, while you were saying this, I'm just thinking for some people who are in um, who are in employed situations where they don't have that authority. It may mean that they need to look at moving on to finding an environment that's that's more healthy and that's going to support them. 
Um, yeah, which yeah, but I would make- say a lot of times people don't even ask. They don't even, they just, you know, so, so part of it is like, there's always three choices when you're in a tough job. It's to stay and swallow it and probably get sick yourself, um, to stay and change yourself in it or leave. Like you have three choices. And so that second one about, you know, do you need to stay and ask for more things and be really specific about what you need and what, what need is going unmet? That's a huge, powerful question. Um, and do you, you know, most of us need more autonomy in our, in our lives. Like then we can never get enough of that. And so identifying what you need and you can ask, you can insist, and then you can leave, right? So then you'll know that, okay, I did, I tried all these avenues or I'm going to learn how to become less reactive. I'm going to change myself and not let that stuff get to me. And I I do lots of work with people around being less reactive uh, because healthcare is just really hard. You know, it's just, it's just, it's a really hard job. It, It is, it is a really hard job. In this book, if someone was to pick it up and start reading it, I know when you talk to me about it, you you don't need to read it from page one to page end. How would they approach this book? I mean, there's so many different stories. Right. Well, you know, the title, because somebody, it's it's Choosing Wellness, Unconventional Wisdom for the Overwhelmed, the Discouraged, the Addicted, the Fearful, or the Stuck. So it's not for people that are flourishing, right? So, So if you're having something, you know, that's troubling you about your own behavior or something in your life, because somebody asked me that, well, you know, they don't, th- th- that book is not for them, right? If things are going great. Um, and so I have been really surprised, you know, first of all, um, that so many people have gotten back to me and said they've read it all in one sitting, which really surprised me just from cover to cover. One or two sittings just, you know, banged it out that they had a hard time putting it down, which surprised me because I have read this thing, Barbara, so many times. And, um, you know, you just you can't see it anymore after a while. Um, yeah, so I would maybe just look at the table of contents and and see if something is uh, jumping out at you, like emotional vampires. We can all relate to that, um, allowing people to suck the life out of us and recognizing, you know, um, you know, triaging these really difficult other people and knowing what you're dealing with very specifically, because there's remedies in the book about how to deal with the narcissist, the bully, and um you know, the emotional vampire, and they're all different remedies, but we really got it just like any nursing assessment. We have to know what we're dealing with first. Um, Yeah, because that was something I was completely unaware of. And I was just always constantly reacting and rescuing and saving and trying to fix and just putting all that down and being having much more effective, um, you know, remedies is, it's just been, I mean, and I think of well-being as really, really broad and, and I, you know, we all want to reach our potential and, and live the best life we can. And, and it's not that my life is perfect by any means. And this book will point that out. You know, I'm, I'm still learning. I'm still stumbling through. Um, and I, and I, I wanted to share some of these stories because that's all, that's all I have. You know, uh, all I have is my experience. And if I, you know, one person uh, is, is helped by this book, I'll be delighted. Well, I think many people will be helped by this book and just, seeing these raw stories and realizing that none of us are alone in whatever our struggle is because there's so many different things. Like there were several things that I could relate to, particularly around the emotional vampire and, and that sort of thing. One of the things that I, I know that, um, well, I know I read, um, Loretta Ford did your forward. 
And she had said that it catalyzes a self-care revolution. And it sounds like that's your hope. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it's just, I mean, if we don't do it, we, it's the one thing we can't delegate. You know, go to sleep, uh, eat real food, whatever it takes for you to get, you know, real food and your, move your body in some way. You know, it, it's it's like we can't delegate that and we can't, we can't ignore our own bodies. And, and when I look back at, you know, the 10 years of, uh, or more of nursing education that I had, I just, it just wasn't even mentioned actually, you know, that you're being called to do this really hard work and accompany people through really difficult transitions in their life. And, you know, my own needs just were not in that equation. And, it, and, you know, and, and it's, you know, it feels good, like to help other, to rush in and, and be that hero. There's a lot of reward in that. You know, there's a lot of societal, like, you, you know, attaboy, good, you know, good going. And so when you start to just say, well, that won't work for me, I can't work that extra shift because I'm sleep deprived. And I, you know, it's just, we don't, it's just not part of the culture. And that's what I really want to change is that, that nurses are actually the picture of, of, of a healthy lifestyle that we, we handle stress differently. We use all the tools that are available to us and we claim it. We, we, we want it, we're living it. And so the patients are looking at us and saying, I want what she has. Yes. Yes. And it's actually what we learned in, you know, nursing 101 or maybe 102, that whole like concept of therapeutic use of self that we use on everybody else that we actually now turn it and use it as well on ourselves. Yeah. In fact, I would go far so far to say that I don't think you can be a therapeutic self to somebody else unless you've got, you know, some, some degree of self-compassion and your own bodily basic needs met, you know, and I, and I get, you know, calls all the time. Oh, the nurses here, they, they need you to come in because they don't have time to pee. And so there's something very wrong there, right? Like if, if, if you have to go nonstop for eight or 10 hours, like there's something very wrong either with our cell, you know, or the system that's in place. Like, and oftentimes, you know, it's a two pronged thing. Like I don't want for anyone listening to think that this is all on their neck because these systems that we work in are often so broken and so commodity driven and revenue driven. They're not thinking about the people in these systems. So it's not all on your back um, to take care of yourself, but it's, it's the first line of defense and it's the first place to start insisting on having these things that every human body needs. Right. Right. Absolutely. What haven't I asked you that you would like to share about this book? Um, hmm, that's a good question. I don't know, Barbara. Um, no, that it, that it, it took me um, at least six years to write it, you know, cause it's, it's much more comfortable for me to write an advanced, a 2000 page textbook um, on advanced practice nursing than it is to write this very personal, raw, um, you know, st- you know, book. Because uh, I, it was it's just like a diary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and people just say like, I'm actually a very private person. You know, I really am. And this is a tiny sliver of my life. You know, and and some of the 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 things that I wrote, I I wrote to the person that I was talking about. So. You know, when my when my friend um, drank herself to death, I mean, that was one of the most heartbreaking stories of my adult life. And so I was I wrote that to her children um, that are still alive. And I um, I read it to them um, over the phone 
you know, to kind of get their approval. And it was, it was beautiful. And so I was so careful about the voice that was really hard to get that voice. Right. I mean, even writing about my, my own children and my, my partner and, you know, my family members, like, um, I, I was just very careful about not, you know, hurting anybody. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then, you know, and being truthful. So there's that old joke, well, then you should have been nicer to me. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, I was gonna, but, but there's nobody, um, yeah, there's nothing that, um, there's nothing that's wrong in this. There's no, um, it's just, it's just how I experienced it. And, and even people in my own family might've experienced differently. And that's the, the story of memory and, and, and narrative, right? So they get to write their own, how they saw it. But um, yeah, I just, it was, it was really hard. <laughs> it was hard, hard fought, you know, um, it was hard. I would yeah. Say. yeah, I, I can see that it was. And I think I told you when I first read it, how I was blown away. I have said this many times, it's a, it's raw. But there's so many stories for so many of us, and I would highly recommend that that people get this book and that they they read it and then go back and and read what they need again and again and again because I think we all want to know that we're not alone in whatever our struggles are anyway, and this tells us that um, on whatever the little struggle is or big struggle. But it also gives us some pointers so that we can begin to see our way out of it and and to make the changes that we need to make so that we can all be more effective. Yeah. And and it's it's happier. Yeah. And I would say like that claiming agency, like you have to be aware first about what you're doing. Oh, here I am people pleasing again. I'm putting somebody else's comfort, uh, somebody that may I not may not know or even respect above my own. Like when you're doing that, you're going to get in trouble really quick. Right. So I like to think of, of Maslow, like it's it's like we have to just keep going back. And there's a new author that's kind of reimagined Maslow where we actually it's more like a safe harbor and we have to go in every night and repair the leaks and um, the sails and everything so we can go out and explore and do bigger things in the world. So it's not a one and done thing with our basic physiologic needs. And in nursing, it's it's really on the daily. Um, what do I need most days to keep my ship afloat? And so, um, you know, that's, I'm a big proponent of claiming agency over the things we have full agency over and diet and exercise and our, our mindset, what we think about, like I have trained my brain at nighttime to not worry. Like I go right to sleep. And if I start to have a worry thought, I'm able to direct it. And I think we're the only species on the planet, Barbara, that can do that, can direct our brains wherever we want it to go. And again, I think that that's a skill for some people because some just, well, they have difficulty with that, but it's a learned skill. It is something that we can learn. And again, I would recommend that that uh, people definitely look at getting this book and where can they get it? Oh, any of the major booksellers. Okay. So Amazon or whoever. Books. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I appreciate this so much that we got to finally talk about the book. Thank you so much, Barbara, for having me. What a great conversation. Thank you so much. So what do you think? I certainly very much enjoyed talking with Eileen once again, and this time taking time to talk about this book. I do feel it's an important book 
that is so relatable to so many people. And I trust that you received a nugget or two that you can use for yourself and your patients. I certainly encourage you to get a copy of the book for yourself, or even as gifts for those that you care about. I'll have the links to Eileen's website and contact information, as well as the book at the blog at npbusiness.com forward slash choose wellness. I wish to thank you for taking time out today to listen to the podcast, to subscribe, to comment and rate us, and certainly to share this podcast with your circle. Again, I hope to continue bringing information that is helpful to you as well as the rest of our community. I'm Barbara C. Phillips, nurse practitioner and founder of Nurse Practitioner Business Owner. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the NP Business Matters podcast. Bye-bye now.